powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Happy Thursday, everyone. You're listening to Bump and Stacy. You know what's so fun about following a show in which Aaron Goldsmith was co-hosting? Uh, it's that we get to see Goldie talking to Matt Nelson, who is obviously part of our show on the board with us. These two love each other. These two adore each other. And you know what it is? <laughs> Matt constantly, constantly uh, just like just burns us every single. Facts. Hey, Matt, how's it going? I hate you. Shut up. <laughs> constantly Matt to us all the time. And it's kind of nice. To watch Matt be so uncomfortable and made fun of by... I, I love this relationship. It's such a beautiful friendship to me, Matt. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Matt and Aaron so have spent fun. so many nights together. I love Talking down the line to each other. I know. And it's just... It's Matt pretending that he doesn't love Goldie, but he absolutely does. Right, Yep. Matt? I'll pretend. 100% <laughs> pretend. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> well, I've, I've, loved, uh, I've loved witnessing it for the last two minutes. It's, it's very nice to watch Matt just feel a tiny bit uncomfortable. Oh, Oh, Matt. No. Okay, okay. We're jumping into the show. We are talking about the Mariners, so it's a good thing that we had Goldie on this morning. We got lots of good sound. We also have sound from John Morosi yesterday with Wyman and Bob. As we talk about reasons for optimism going into the Mariners 2024 season, I will be the first to admit that I can be a bit of a doomer. A bit of a not even glass half empty, but like mm. glass mostly empty. Can you throw it in the dishwasher type person when it comes to the Mariners, when it comes to anything, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want my feelings hurt. I'm going to tell myself that this food I ordered is not going to be that great. It's probably overrated. I'm going to tell myself the show I'm about to watch is probably disappointing. And I'm going to tell myself that the Mariners not, might not make the playoffs. And that's just something that might not happen. However, we're going to challenge ourselves this morning, Bump, to look at a lot of the really fun possibilities with this roster because they are absolutely there. So what you're saying is trauma is real. That's exactly what I'm saying. Everybody experienced some type of trauma in their life. Uh, you experience it young, old, whenever. It's going to show up again. And that's what I hear when I hear you talking about the um, the Mariners. You're half empty type. I'm like half full, but then I'm waiting for some ice cubes to get thrown in there to kind of raise the level a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, you're, it's, you're half full, but it's not necessarily as much as you want. Yeah, yeah. I just need I just need a few more ice cubes. Throw some cubes in there, raise that, raise that <laughs> level, and then we can start talking. That's how I feel about this squad. I am... Now, this is what my like second and a half season doing this with you, right? And two years ago, I came on, and it was halfway through oh the season God. in June, and they got hot. They won like 14 games in a that row. That started with Bump. Yeah, it started with me. It's all me. Yep. You're welcome, Mims yep. fans. Thank you again. Um, so now that we're, we're getting to the start of the, the third year, um, at least reacting on air, I've always watched these dudes. Um, I would say this is probably the most optimistic I've been on air with you about this this squad. Why? And the reason why I'm most optimistic is because of some of the things that we hear the people that we know and love talk about. Yesterday, something as simple as Shannon saying that Julio just doesn't have that kid look anymore. Mm. That's important to me because we're watching this guy grow up in front of our eyes, and I think sometimes we forget that because he has all the talent in the world and expectations are high, but sometimes you got to step back and say, he's still a young man. He's still working on some things. He thinks he had a sophomore slump. Now he's coming into the season with a chip on his shoulder. He's finding a way to keep that chip on his shoulder. So I look at little things like that. Um, in our email, show email, Curtis pointed out, like, look, how's 27? Mm -hmm. You know, like, Logan's coming into what, his third or fourth year. Like, these guys are maturing, and with maturation comes um, experience. 
experience, learning how to handle emotions, the ups and downs of a season, learning how to lead, and evaluating yourself in the offseason and making yourself better getting into this season. So, honestly, this is the most optimistic I've been. Even after they made the playoffs and we're doing these interviews and everyone's saying this is a World Series type of team, mm-hmm. there was just something there that makes it made, made it hard for me to believe yeah. that it was a World Series type of yeah. team. With this team right here, expectations aren't World Series. I think they've all learned from putting that out there the year before, and they're saying, all right, man, we're just going to come in. We're going to work hard. They're pointing out where um, they came up short. They're pointing out where they need to get better. They made moves in the offseason. It, it might not have been the moves that we liked, but I just like the direction. So I'm looking at this squad, and I'm saying – because of the maturation, because of the pieces that they've added, and because of the arms that they have, it always starts there. I'm feeling okay about this team. That's also my source of kind of like um, optimism for the team is from those arms. And I love you mentioning Julio because I obviously am considering Julio as like a primary source, but the maturation of Julio is an angle that you're right. I like looking into for 2024. To take a step back, I think where some of the pessimism comes from uh, like for many people, I would love for this team not only to spend more in general. I was very disheartened by them seemingly cutting finances back, seemingly really mm-hmm. limiting what Justin and Jerry could do with the roster. And the reason it was frustrating and, and you know kind of depressing and upsetting is because it's kind of been something that has been my own experience growing up with this team and being like, God, just go for it. Just right. do it. Like, you know, um, And so you naturally fall into this habit of just thinking, this feels familiar, so it's going to have the same ending. Mm -hmm. Um, I also don't think that, like, the ending to this season is a World Series. I do think it can be the playoffs. I think it is, without sounding disparaging, easier to get into the playoffs. Um, I also think that this team uh, did as much with as little as they possibly could, and I like the results of it. And I am very intrigued to know what Mitch Haniger looks like this season. I'm very intrigued to know what it looks like with them riding the ship with DH. I hated what they did, mm-hmm. uh, like My philosophically goodness. with DH last yeah. year. And, you know, is Mitch Garver the absolute best person ever to put there? No, of course not. You're not the Dodgers. But I like you approaching it as being like, this is our DH. We're going to go for power. We're going to get someone with some pop. Yeah, that's exactly what you should be doing with that position. You know what? I can't complain about 2023 because they've adjusted. So let's go into 2024. But I look at those arms and I just think like this is where it's all coming from. This hasn't changed. This remains true. And this isn't second, third best like, hey, you did, you know, the best with what you had. This is you have genuinely one of the best rotations in baseball. Yeah. And we're looking at it. I'm I'm looking at Miller and Wu and saying, all right, what can you bring, right? How much better can you get? I'm looking at South Sato. I'm saying, all right, you have a new role in the bullpen. How much better can you get over there? Just some basic stats on the pitching. I mean, they were eighth when it came to strikeouts. They were third when it came to ERA. This is last year, obviously. And they were first when it came to shutouts. And I go, okay, that's somewhere to start. We, we all know that you need to be able to play defense to win championships or even just compete for a championship. It starts with the arms. So, again, I talk about the maturation of, of Julio and physically, mentally, spiritually, mm-hmm. all of that stuff, right? And then I look at just what's the maturation of that bullpen going to be and the maturation of uh, Wu and Miller. Um, you, you have to look at every year – as its own type of situation. It's easy to kind of look at the downfalls of last year, and if they didn't make the moves that they made, you can say, all right, that's just naturally going to overflow into this year. Why would you expect anything different? They did something different. They maximized their resources. Didn't have a lot of resources. Could have had more resources. They control their resources when it comes to how much they're going to spend. 
But for what they had, I go, okay, this is the best I felt about the offseason. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen, if, if Chapman's going to be in the mix or whatnot. But last year, there was so much uncertainty. I'm glad you you pointed out the DH spot. I'm, you know, and, and like I said before, man, my baseball career ended fairly quickly in high school when I realized I couldn't hit a curveball, right? But there's one thing I know about sports uncertainty is dangerous when you're you don't know who your dh is going to be how many guys are going to see at second base um third base was a lock last year but i feel like going into the season there's less uncertainty when it comes to who's going to be out there therefore you can kind of look at this team and say this is what i project this is what i think they can be because we Mm -hmm. know for the most part who we're going to see out there if the theme of the last two years has been hey you can be really promising but you're a very young team the theme of this year should be hey you can be really promising because some of these guys are going to start to get into their peak ages and like you said that's what curtis you pointed out in the email you were looking at cal but importantly you were looking at the um, the some of the core guys in the rotation. You were looking at Logan. You were looking at George. This is no longer, hey, let's get George uh, to up those innings. This is, is George going to be a Cy Young candidate? Right, yeah. Like, Julio, we all look at as a core guy. He's only 23 years old. Like, he still has his best years ahead of him. But I'm looking at Logan, 27 in May is when he turns 27. George Kirby's 26 and Cal's 27. Like, I don't know if you can necessarily, you know, say that youth is – uh, you know, something that you got to account for anymore with these guys. Like these guys are established big leaguers and, and all our all-star caliber players. We saw Kirby make his first all-star team a year ago. Uh, I would expect Cal to kind of be in the running for that. Maybe even Logan Gilbert too. Like these three guys outside of Julio in terms of your young core, I mean, they're not so young anymore. Like they are going to play, I think some of their best ball this year, because in baseball, when you're 26, 27, 28 years old, that's, that's entering your prime years of, of of abilities. Exactly. And that kind of twist to it is what I finally like about the season. I always get tired of like a repetitive narrative anyways. Anyone does. That's not unique to me. But I like that this one is evolving in a really fun way. Hey, you want to know what someone's prime can look like? You're going to start to see it with a few of these guys. Like that that whole question of like, oh, imagine him in his prime. You're entering that. You're getting into that territory. Now you finally get to see what it might look like. Yeah, and that's uh that's the fun part, right? I, um, excuse who I got this from. I, I saw it on the Twitter slash X, and I was um, say Twitter. I need they, to I know. I, I don't know if I can stop saying it, honestly. Sorry, Elon. Um, I mean, it took me long enough to call the Los Angeles Rams Los Angeles Rams, right? And then then the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers. Look, we're working on a lot of things. We're trying. We're trying. But uh, someone posted on Twitter, and they they compared. Julio Rodriguez second year to Acuna's second year. And it's it's crazy how similar it is. Now, I'm not going to go out and put that pressure on this young man and say, "Okay, he has to live up to um to the 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 status and the production that Acuna has, but it's crazy how similar their numbers are." And we talk about guys getting into their prime. Julio's nowhere near his prime yet. He's got about three, four, five of them things before he really starts to get into it. So because of that, man, it's um it's nice to have young talent on your team because Talent is full of potential. You know, once you get uh, once you get my age, man, it, I mean, a potential. It's like, all right, man, you, you probably maxed out so far, right? It, the, the, the cup is almost full. There's still some room to improve, but it's almost full. With this young team, you look at it and you go, all right, man, let's see what this offseason has done for them. And I think that is what kind of keeps me locked into this. Now, if they come out, Stacey, and they lose like five, six in a row, um, obviously, obviously I'm, I'm going to look back and be like, all right, man, we got some work to do. But something tells me. Um, that they're going to have a better start to the season than they did last year. That's all I'm looking for 
to start. Just have a better start than last year. Don't put yourself so far behind or so, so deep in a hole August. that you need Julio to go nuts in yeah. August, right? Just be consistent, right? Look like a team that has been together. The core has been together for at least three to four years. That's how we feel about this team right now. Let's find out how Scott Service feels about it. I think it speaks to the number of players that are here early. Um, and we still have a very young team. We've got like guys that have a lot to prove. Uh, yet, but you know, certainly with the way our season ended, uh, it was a sour note, and you felt it talking to guys throughout the off season as we made you know changes to the roster and, and whatnot. But you know, talking to the core players that are definitely going to be back here, you know, they have a little chip on their shoulder. It was hard to watch the the playoffs play out the way they did. Uh, two two teams in our division uh, getting to the championship series and one winning it all. So there's certainly uh, there's fire in the belly here, so to speak. Okay, Jonathan Gannon, you got fire in your belly, but I do love hearing Scott Service say it's the hungriest team that he's been a manager for. Gannon said that same thing. Don't you remember? He does, but why does it feel so much better when he says it than Gannon? Because it's our guy saying it. When Jonathan Gannon says it, it's like, what a loser. When Scott Service (laughs) says it, it's like, I'll run through a wall for you, coach. Right? That's messed up. My bad, Gannon, because I was feeling that right now. (laughs) Uh, He's like, Scott Service, who took the bus? Raise your hand. Who took the bus to spring training? But and we're like, man. That, yeah, that? that's right. The everyman, Scott Service. <laughs> he gets it. Jonathan Gannon says it. What a loser. Who takes what what professional athlete is taking the bus to work? No, I um jokes aside, uh, it may be coach speak, and we always have to kind of parse coach speak and figure out, you know, like of course you gotta be positive. But I can believe that there is a lot of hunger on this roster, that there are young guys who are really competitive. I can imagine George Kirby was very angry they did not make the playoffs. I can imagine Julio is disappointed that he didn't have the season he wanted. I can imagine that Mitch Hanniger is ready to prove to people that he's not just this guy that's always going to get banged up. I can imagine that any of these guys, Ty France, is ready to prove that he can be better than he was last year. There is a lot of... I mean, for, yeah, hunger. Hunger is the right word. There's a lot of defensiveness, isn't it? But like um, just a thirst to prove something from quite a few of these players. That's really fun. That's a great place to operate from, man. Um, I've operated from that place my whole dang life for the most part, not being the biggest, fastest, or strongest, right? It's once you get comfortable, um, it can hurt you. And maybe last year, because they made the playoffs, because – um, they had success and, and broke the curse and did some things that you might lose a little bit of that hunger. And it's a long season, right? So you, you got to come in and be locked in. So I love the mentality. The The messaging sounds different from service and the, the rest of the game. Uh, you mentioned that thirst and the hunger that we feel like they have. I think as a Seattle-based team, that is always where you need to operate from because you're not going to get picked uh, preseason to win a championship in any league, unless you're talking about the Sounders of the rain, right? It's a bit mm-hmm. different. Uh, they do their thing. But um, no, I, I love operating from that place. I think um, that builds greatness. And when you're operating from that place with a young team, when it comes to the guys you're dependent on, man, um, the the uh, the future is looking bright as of now. Now, talk to me in uh, June and, and see how I'm feeling then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lots of reasons for optimism with the Mariners going into 2024 spring training just starting. By the way, the first uh, game of Cactus League play is on the 24th. You're just a couple days away. How about that? Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one, biggest game in the Pac-12 is tonight. Let's go! Number 21, Washington State taking on number four, Arizona. 
for sole possession of first place in the conference. What's the real headline? Bear down. More like they're down in the standings after this one. They uh-huh. is Arizona. Oh. They is Arizona, not the Cubs. Okay, you really you really told them. Bear down. Really told me. <laughs> More like embarrassing down in Tucson. Oh. What we're about to see tonight from Arizona. I'm, I'm hurt. Dang. Bear down. Oh, okay. uh, more like more like barely scoring against uh, the Cubs. Uh, Bump right here. Okay. Right here. Put her there. My arms aren't Great long job. enough. Thank Great you. Job. Great job. You know, um, I'm gonna operate in a in a position of just uh, you know, just, just being humble and and realizing that Arizona is a good basketball program. Yes, the Cougs have beaten them once. It's going to be tough to do that in Arizona. They are undefeated. And uh, my coach always told me, man, don't give them bulletin board material. And uh, I'm not going to do that here. No bulletin board material. Do uh, it, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm rooting for my Cougs. We, we're going to play the humble. We're going to play good defense. We're going to yeah. rebound. Yeah. We're going to play team ball. Rice is going to do his. I mean, I'm just saying, no. I'm, I'm feeling optimistic, but no bulletin board material. We still have a day left in our schedule. The three of us, four of us, including Matt, obviously, will all be here tomorrow together. I won't be here tomorrow. Oh, no. So if we do lose, I get to duck it. We'll all be here tomorrow, Monday. (laughs) (laughs) How are we feeling about some kind of uh, gentleman's wager? Oh. You yeah, know, you don't even have a dog in a fight, and you and, and you trying this to. This is the first I time. Have a gambling she's problem. trying to promote yeah. it. She Don King over here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Golden yeah, exactly Boy Productions. Okay, okay, okay. So number twenty-one Cougs bumps team taking on number four Arizona Curtis's team. Bear down. Maybe we'll, listeners we'll do, can help we'll us the out. Good old donuts. Listeners, we'll do the donuts. Donuts. Okay, we'll do but if, donuts. okay. So right now we'll settle on loser brings in donuts. Meaning for once I win, no matter what. And this is going to be for Monday, but. If listeners have suggestions for what either of these men are going to have to do if their team loses, 866-979-3776. I think we could make this fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a really good game. I'm excited. Bear down. Headline rewrite. More like, um, more like, uh. No, you got it. More like. You got it. More like, more like where is the frown? It's about to be on your face, oh, Arizona. Ouch. I've been burned. <sighs> Darn. I got that one in right under. <laughs> Headline number two, Seattle police have arrested a 28-year-old man who stole about $40,000 worth of Magic the Gathering cards from a warehouse in Ballard. What's the real headline? Finally, a break in the Cassius Marsh case. Oh, no. <laughs> Finally. It was the perfect crime. So here's what happened. Bump, this person was a temporary employee with the warehouse. Mm-hmm. This warehouse was sells, I don't know, maybe it sells something in addition to Magic the Gathering cards, but they have Magic the Gathering cards there. Um, and this, they hired a bunch of temporary workers. This person actually hadn't worked there for a couple days. So apparently they go back and they steal a bunch of merchandise and then they were selling it through a third party. Problem is that that person was still attaching their name and home address to the Come items on, that man. they were selling. Gotta be smarter than that. <laughs> That's how they got caught. Come on, man. You deserve <laughs> to be caught, rookie. Even I would have thought, no, no, I'm not a thief. But I, even I would have thought not to put your name and, and your residence down on your transactions. I simply would not recommend it if you're going to commit a crime. You know? No. What are you doing, man? I know. Uh, well, you got caught. $40,000? Goodness gracious. I Imagine if he did get away with it, man. I didn't realize Magic the Gathering was like that. Oh, it's it's definitely like that. Yeah, I don't play it, but it has a huge following. Matthew? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, let me tell you something. Mike Lefko sent me a text about this. Curtis sent me a text about this. Another friend sent me a text about this. I don't even like Magic the Gathering. You don't? That's too yeah. nerdy even for me. Okay, but my bad. Matt, my bad. Your vibe is Magic the Gathering, if that makes sense. That is a massive insult and accurate. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am no, I wrong? You're completely correct, but I am still insulted by it. Well, I think I think we can all say that if each of us had to say a harsh truth about the vibe that we give, mine would be has multiple Stanley Cups. And you wouldn't be wrong. In a big purse. I had to look over my purse, <laughs> <laughs> It's called a tote. What's next, Matt? Headline rewrites. Headline number three, Julio. Came in at number 10 on MLB Network's top 100 players list last night. What's the real headline? Yeah, congrats to the Dodgers for having three in the top five. I know that has nothing to do with the Mariners. It's not even a joke. It's just something that I am in awe of. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Chris Taylor, right? (laughs) Those are the top three. three of the five? No. (laughs) Otani, you pointed this out, Curtis. Number four. Yeah, that's crazy. How's it feel to have a washed Otani on your roster? Washed. (laughs) Have you seen his BP? Garbage. Home run in his first BP. (laughs) Oh man, I'm I'm happy for Julio. I'm I'm happy for the Mariners. I'm happy for myself being a a Dodgers slash Mariner fan. Um, This list was made for me specifically, so big ups. But I'm more happy for Julio, man. We knew. I mean, the Dodgers, they go out and they buy their team. We knew that they're going to have some guys in the top 10. I was wondering where Julio was going to fall, man. That's mad respect right there. Top 10, and he has it in his mind. He's coming off a sophomore slump. There were moments where he w- he did not look good. The breaking ball, chasing, it killed him at times. But he found a way to put it together. So um, keeping that chip on his shoulder and getting the love that he's getting this offseason, mm-hmm. I think is great. Suggestions from the Mac and Jacks text line. Most popular one is loser wears other team's gear. But I'm not going to make you guys do that, even though both of you have closets full of school gear. Hello. You know, it's Hello eh, extremely. Eh, I don't want to necessarily <laughs> uh, make that. Um, another one is uh, that Bump does a push-up for every three Arizona makes. Curtis does a push-up for every one they miss. Okay, we'll so, think about it. be like 20-something. Yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll You still didn't it. do your push-ups, by the way. Huh? There was one that said... Uh, push-ups. <laughs> that's right, yeah. From the good question bet you guys made. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was at least a week ago. Brady Henderson was on. And before the interview, Stacy, you had bet that you would get a good question from Brady. How many do I owe you? 20. I think it was 20, yeah. Not all at once. Do it by fives. I'm going to do it in increments of two. One. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Look, we all remember a conversation that was happening a couple days ago from Mike Salk about trading DK Metcalf. Uh, but there's one that we had in the kitchenette this morning that I actually think is even more intriguing. Nothing to do with DK Metcalf, but it does have to do with trading another Seahawk. Don't go anywhere. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Rost. Bump and Curtis's alma mater is facing off in a huge game tonight. Number 21, Washington State against number four, Arizona in Tucson. Earlier, I turned to the Mac and Jack's text line for some suggestions about what these two friends are going to have to do uh, if their school loses. Uh, and I was thinking inside the box. That was my problem. Okay. That my big problem was thinking inside the box from the 253. No, no, no. You guys are thinking too physical. These are two proud dads, okay? 
Loser has to admit the winner has a far superior skill set, including but not limited to lawn care, grilling, vehicle maintenance, light switch management, thermostat management, and new balance collection. (laughs) Dang. Jen in Beaverton has another suggestion. She says, you guys have to make it more painful. Okay, forget their own schools. These these two like each other's schools just fine. Make Curtis say forks up at the end of each segment, oh, and Jen. Bump has to say bow down. Mm. <laughs> that would hurt. That hurts that more. Hurt. That's the thing is you guys aren't rival schools. It's nah. just going to be a really exciting, fun game that we're all watching. But Curtis, you hate the Scum Devils. True. And Bump, for some reason, you don't like the Washington <laughs> Huskies, the number one yeah. research institution on the West Coast. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like the the colors and the logo. I respect the players who play the game and the coaches who coach respect. and all that good stuff. But yeah, there's something that's the wrong purple and gold. I like the the purple and gold down in LA. Totally fair. Um, I'm switching gears here. Uh, we are talking about the Seahawks, though. You guys remember there was quite a hubbub uh, created about it when one Mike Salk said, "Hey, you know the Chiefs just won a Super Bowl with not a lot of money invested in wide receiver." The Seahawks have quite a bit of money invested in wide receiver. Mm-hmm. What if the Seahawks trade DK Metcalf? And everyone lost their minds, okay? It's just a classic off-season conversation. Um, we're going to have another one, and it's not about DK Metcalf. Uh, instead, this was brought up, uh, you, me, and G. Scott in the kitchenette this morning. We're having a conversation about the Seahawks. It was a really fun conversation, all hypotheticals. And we were talking about the way that the league is developing, And G, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, uh, G was saying, you know what I'm wondering? What if with the way that offenses are evolving, we'll soon see corner become just as valuable as edge rushers? And, you know, what if, you know, there are ever guys you're looking at where that trade value suddenly becomes so much higher? And then we all wondered, like, well, you know, would someone like Reek Woolen ever be a trade chip for Seattle, despite all of us thinking he's a perfectly fine person and, Mm -hmm. and teammate? And you weren't for it, nah. you know, um, but uh, but we were all wondering what that would look like, like whether Seattle would ever do that. The argument for trading Reek Wollen, just in, in general, like just a general argument would be, what if it was just a flash in the pan? What if that season he had was the best season he'll ever have? And what if he won't be better than that? You think that you can see where some people might think that, but you don't agree. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I don't think it's far fetched. I think unless you are the one percenters on that team, right? The guys who are untouchable. And at this point with the Seahawks, I don't think anyone's untouchable. But there are some guys um, who you feel like are going to be here. Um, you got to look at every situation. So that's why it was an interesting conversation. Now I don't think they're looking at Reek and saying, "All right, maybe we can trade him." And maybe that that first year, that rookie year with six interceptions in the mm-hmm. Pro Bowl situation um, was luck. Because my man hasn't played the position very long, what, maybe three seasons now as a pro. I mean, two as a pro, one as a, as a college athlete. So you see some of the struggles that he had last year. And it wasn't just him. It was a lot of guys on defense who struggled last year. It was just a down year overall. And you start to think, okay, what direction is the league going? They're throwing the ball everywhere. Um Pat Mahomes is making uh, something out of nothing with his receivers over there. You know, there might be some value at that corner spot, right? When you have a corner who can lock down one side of the field, uh, that takes a lot of pressure off of everybody. I look at Rick Woolen and I go, nah, I think after two years, um, he had a good year and an off year. Let's see what he does this year. Let's see what he does with this new coaching staff. They're going to coach him up in different ways. Maybe there's some... Some uh, some some trigger words that that get him to respond in different ways. That's one thing I love about coaching and about development is that 
you could be coaching the same technique, but you could describe it and say things in a different way, and it all makes sense to the player, and they execute differently. Um, I think of it as a golf swing. Like, most of the guys I play with, I play with some some scratch handicaps. I play with some high handicaps and everything in between. Everyone typically knows what the swing is supposed to look like and supposed to feel like. But every now and then, I'll play with a scratch golfer, and he'll say something to me, and my body and my mind just responds. I go, okay, that's it. That's what I need to think about and what I need to, to think about feeling when I'm swinging. I look at Rick Woolen, and I think the same thing. I go, let's give this coaching staff a chance and maybe they can tap into what Reek had that first year because it's hard when people have film on you they know what you're good at they know what you struggle with and they can kind of put you in compromising situations all right you had your good year you had your bad year now let's see what this staff can do with you do you i was gonna say i i hope you don't mind me interrupting but i want to veer into that part of your conversation you mentioned hey here's you know what can happen in a second year is that teams have film on you so when you're a team you start entering that third year going here's what worked here's what didn't why do you think we didn't see the version of Reek we were all hoping to in year two? Well, one, I think he started the season just on on the wrong side, right? You're injured. So you come into training camp when you're available, and you might not have the confidence that you once had because you're trusting in Reek's situation that your knee is going to hold up and you're not going to feel that little tweak. Like The way that Reek got hurt was crazy. Walking out to practice just felt something, and boom, you tweak it. Um, that leads me to believe that – that was bound to happen anyway, right? Uh, so mentally, you have to get through that. When I when I broke that bone in my foot, it took me a couple of, a couple of weeks to even trust that I can go out there and play again. And then you get into the playing field, and, you, and you're you're second guessing yourself. So I think mentally, he started off on the wrong foot. That's tough to come back from, even if it's just a minor procedure. You still had something done to your body, and you have to learn to trust it again. Uh, so I think that played a role into it. And then two receivers. When I look at DBs as a receiver, as a receiver coach, and I'm learning their tendencies. I'll break it down to, okay, by my third step vertical, he typically takes this step, right? By my fifth step, I can get him to turn his hips. All right, he's, he's not comfortable when I stem him this way. You start breaking down that player and you go, all right, I figured out a plan on how to beat this guy. Now, the good DBs are going to find their way out of it. They're going to get out of that dark place and be good. Then I go back to what Rick has been. He's only been a DB like three three years now, right? So he's he's had he hasn't lost enough battles. I feel like to go back into that memory bank and say, okay, get back to my foundation. This is what I need to work on. So it, it's a bunch of things, man. It starts with the injury. It starts with teams trying to starting to figure you out, and uh, and then it's just you know the mental game. So he, he's only been in the league two years. I think one more year to try to figure it out, maybe even two, because physically you don't find guys like him, right? You find 5'11s walking down the street. You don't find the 6'3s running a 4'2 um, walking down the street. So I think just because of his ability um, and the new coaching staff, he should get another year to try to figure this thing out. Uh, from Mac and Jack's text line 253, I don't know why everyone says Woolen had a bad year. If you look at his stats, they're actually better than Sauce. I think it's because 253, and uh, this is just me, when I think of Reek Wollin's season, I imagine in my mind him missing tackles. And you talked about um, how he'd fit into McDonald's defense and not always loving the way he was used last year, and that could have been part of the struggle. Yeah, um, 
Reek was asked, and then DBs are going to be asked to do this according to the formation, right? You have a, a dead side of a formation, which is where there's no receiver, but maybe there's a tight end attached to the line of scrimmage. Now that DB becomes the edge player and has to set that edge and take a, a pulling guard or, or a fullback or a running back with that inside shoulder and force everything inside. And uh, maybe Reek hasn't been asked to do that often. And I think you put that on film that you struggle setting that edge. Teams are going to give you that dead side with that tight end, and they're going to run at you to try to expose you in that way. So um, I guarantee you Reek saw that on film and has been working on that this offseason. All right. If you had to choose one answer for this question, what would it be? What's the Seahawks' greatest need at pick number 16? Coming your way next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Talking about NFL free agency coming up at 11. And, of course, getting back to the Mariners and spring training coming up at noon. Before we do that, what's the greatest need for the Seahawks at pick number 16? I have a couple different options from the Mac and Jack's text line. Listeners sending in their answers. Uh, but, Bump, for you, um, and I know that this is also going to be changed by the depth of the draft so you can answer both if you want like you can be like look I don't know how the fill in the blank classes this year but this is the greatest need I I would say think about it that way so that we don't complicate things for for ourselves before we start diving into what the draft looks like so we're just looking at genuinely what's the greatest need Um, so for you when you look at this team when you look at having pick number 16 what is the greatest need and that is uh, it's a simple question, but it's complicated at the same time because yeah. we're waiting to see. All right, what's the deal with Jordan Brooks? Well, are, are you going to even if you you don't um, extend tag or whatever you want to do with Jordan Brooks, I, you still need to address that position. But um, if Jordan Brooks is there, I think it buys you some time in the draft, I feel like. Then the second question is, what are you doing with Leonard Williams? Right. Uh, You don't have a second round pick. We saw the impact that he had on that defensive line. Uh, The only counter I would have to that is that defensive line is typically a platoon type of deal. Unless you have a Chris Jones an Aaron Donald, somebody that is just dominant in that interior. It's like, all right, for the most part, you're going to be seeing guys playing about 50 to 60 percent of the snaps just with the rotation. But you notice I ain't say nothing about the offense, right? Mm-hmm. If I had to pick a position on the offense, it's the offensive line. But I'm looking at the defense and I'm saying, all right, it's all about getting after the quarterback. It's football is in, in simple terms, right? The successful teams protect the quarterback. They get after the quarterback. And I think the Hawks, I looked at how much Gina was sacked last year. I think he was around like 17 or 18th when it came, yep. yeah, came to sacks. So, but I also think that Gino bought himself some time and scrambled a bit and stepped up in the pocket to help that offensive line. Um, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm like weaving getting to my answer because that's how complicated yeah, this yeah, whole thing time. is. But I'm looking at the defense and I'm going, all right, man, best defensive line lineman you got, interior defensive line. Like yeah. I want a dog. I want a beast in that interior. You got you got Jay Reed. Jay Reed exceeded all of my expectations when it came to his production. I love that he was back with the football team. Uh, we knew uh, at his peak or in his prime what he brings to the table. And then he goes off and has what seven and a half sacks, and I'm like, okay. Let's, and then Leonard Williams comes over, and um, he has himself a good year. Four and a half sacks, I believe, in ten games with the Seahawks. It, but you feel his presence out there, and he makes these big plays, and you feel like once he got going, man, it's a good look. This team is going to be at its best when they can dominate the box. 
So I'm looking at the interior linemen, and I'm going, okay, who you got? And the the names that that pop out, you got Byron Murphy the second over there with with Texas. You got a Darius Robinson, D line. He's kind of an edge guy uh, with Missouri. You got Chris Jenkins with Michigan. I'm going look. Whoever's whoever's available, whoever's on top of your board when you look at defensive linemen, you go out and get that dude because what is what does pressure do on the defensive line? It takes pressure off the linebackers. Now they're able to fly around. Mm-hmm. It takes pressure off the back end because you're getting pressure on the quarterback. The quarterback might throw up some some passes or some throws that he typically doesn't do. It compromises everything the offense wants to do. So as much as I know you need a versatile linebacker in this um, this defense, as much as I know the edge rushers um, are going to be crucial. Chen is going to be back next year. We'll see how he looks. I'm looking at interior defensive linemen and say, okay, push the pocket, make the quarterback step up or roll out to get to those edge rushers, take pressure off the back end, and it all comes together. I'm looking at interior defensive linemen. I couldn't agree more. I wrote down the word and I circled it on my notebook, trenches. Uh, This was one of the worst defenses against the run. Meanwhile, Geno Smith was the most hurried quarterback in football. He was not the most sacked quarterback, but he was the most hurried quarterback. This is an offensive line that has some promise. I mean, both of your tackles could be franchise guy. Guys, you have a little bit of nervousness about Abe Lucas's knee injury, wondering if that's going to be a chronic thing. Uh, And then you're wondering, like, can Charles Cross continue to take a step forward? But there's enough promise on the offensive line that you don't need, uh, you know, this refurbishment kind of thing going on. You just need to find a piece or two. Um, You mostly need them to stay healthy. You mostly need, you know, some good coaching, good offensive line play uh, and, and good game planning defensively, I think, is where you look at personnel. You're exactly right. I'm going to echo you with the interior of the defensive line. I'll throw on off-ball linebackers, which you also mentioned. Um, and I down the road, not for the first round, I'm wondering what they do with safety if they move on from mm-hmm. Jamal and or Quandre, given their cap hits. Uh, I'm going to throw in, though, some answers from the Mac and Jack's text line that are different from mine that All I think right. are interesting. Quarterback. This is one listener's explanation. No future. Not a good quarterback draft next year. You can fill everything else later in the draft or in free agency. Say it one more time. Uh, this listener says quarterback because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in their mind, there's no future, meaning Gino's older. Right. There's not a good class next year, and you can fill everything else later in the draft or free agency. Like a free agency quarterback is going to be insanely expensive. I, I understand that logic. I'm not mad at it. The only pushback I would have is that you have to be – in love with a quarterback. You got to be in love with him. If you're in the Seahawks position, and the position that the Seahawks are in is that you have a veteran quarterback who can make this offense function, who will make some plays, who has been here before, and you can lean on a bit as a coach on the football field. Unless you are, you have your guy at the quarterback spot. Oh my gosh, J.J. McCarthy. Oh my gosh, May or Bo Nix or whoever dropped to 16. I can't believe this is happening, fellas. We know exactly what we're going to do. You have that moment, then you go ahead and do it. But if you don't have that moment, uh, you you have to, to kind of wait and see how things happen in front of you as well. Because they could have two, two defensive linemen that they like and they're gone. Mm-hmm. You could have a quarterback that you like and he's gone. And now your best offensive line lineman is available. So you kind of have to go them go that way. When you're at pick number 16, your pick is sometimes influenced by what happens in front of you because you don't know what's going to happen in front of you. Here's what we do know. We know quarterbacks are going to go one and two. I mean, we can, we can pretty much bank on that. But after that, it's like, who knows how 
teams departments are looking at this draft and looking at their team and saying, that's our guy. This is where John Schneider comes in. Communication. These GMs are going to talk throughout the draft. We all know that John Schneider has certain relationships with other teams, and they might give a hint, hey, we're probably going to go this route. We're probably going to go this route. whole bunch of communication going on. So um, Schneider, I think, will have an idea of what's going to be available and if your guy that you want at quarterback is there, then you go get it. But I doubt he's going to be there. Uh, last one here, uh, and then we'll wrap and head into a free agency conversation. I just thought this answer was fun. <laughs> I think it's a fun <laughs> twist on it. Um, greatest need at pick number 16, more picks. <laughs> more picks. I like that answer. It's, yeah, kinda, it's, that. it's a fun twist. There's it no, moves it in a different direction. There's no way they cannot get a pick in the first round, though. And you're at pick number 16. That's mm-hmm. a weird position to be in. Mm-hmm. That's where guys start to blend in as far as abilities or whatnot. So um, I like the more picks. I, I would just hate to have the, the 28th, 29th pick in the first round. Exactly. I'm sure if you're a John Schneider, you're looking at it going, God, I hate not having a second rounder. Like, I really, really hate that. But I have also stared at late 20s or 30, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. over and over and over, and I have not knocked that pick out of the park because that's basically a second rounder. Yeah. And so then it's a second rounder with really high expectations of a first rounder. It's it's You've looked at that pick before. You're right. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating. I can't wait to get to it. We will have many conversations about the draft. Before the draft, though, is free agency. New league year starts mid-March. That is not too long from now. Pro Football Focus's Brad Spielberger joins us next.